We're good. Now you've seen the whole sermon. <laughs> Amen. That was awesome. Someone asked me before the service, I had a good sermon for him today, and well, now you know, I guess, whether or not. Um, we're looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you have a Bible with you, you'll be able to follow along. Uh, if not, uh, you can find the text actually in your order of worship, or you can use any other uh, device if you want. So I say to you, hear the word of God. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, although privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would um, make the gospel effective in the hearts of everyone here. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Well, as I told you before, we're, we are, I think, about four sermons in to this book of Galatians. And up to this point, if you remember, the big problem in the book of Galatians is that on one hand, Paul had preached free grace to the Galatians. They had become Christians. They, they had sort of gotten it. And then other people came along from Jerusalem, other people who said they were actually from the apostles, and said, yeah, 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 yeah. trusting Jesus is good, but you should probably add circumcision to that just to make sure, or add certain things just to make sure. And so they, they, they added those things, and on the, at simultaneously it seems that they were tearing the Apostle Paul's down. They were, they were attacking his reputation, because to attack his reputation and also to put what he said in doubt. And so with all of that said, I'm going to start with a question you've already seen this morning. So the question is this, what is your opinion of politicians? generally speaking. You don't have to yell it, because we don't allow cussing in church. Um, <laughs> okay, so if I ask you what is your opinion generally of politicians, now what's your opinion specifically of politicians who are on the other side of whatever party you're on? Right? Well, what's interesting, I looked it up right before I came out, and so, so Congress is sitting at a hearty 20% approval rate 
<laughs> among Americans, which is great because that's an improvement over last year at this time, which they were a 17% approval rate. And I, it always makes me laugh when, when I hear politicians complaining about the president is only at 41, 42, 43, whatever. But Congress is only at 20% ever. People can't stand politicians, generally speaking. And the question is why? It's because, generally speaking, they tend to be crooked snakes, correct? <laughs> right? Notice I haven't singled out a party here. So I remember it was, it was back during, it was, I think it was 2008, and, and the presidential elections going on, and it just, the, the, everything just got so heated, and I said, I'm not watching news anymore, I'm just tired of this. And at some, at, at, it was a late at night, I tend to stay up late sometimes, and a movie came on that completely changed my opinion and encouraged me to, to this day. And it was a movie entitled, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Have you ever seen that movie? Okay, I'm going to tell you the end because it's been out since 1939 and you should have seen it by now. <laughs> okay, it was made in 1939. The director is Frank Capra. He's the same person that made It's a Wonderful Life. And it was about a man, guess what? Guess what his name was? Mr. Smith. And guess what he does? Goes to Washington. <laughs> it's Jimmy Stewart who I think is maybe one of the greatest actors of all time. And Jimmy Stewart is this, this hayseed from some unnamed state in the Midwest, and he is, has become a congressman. And they show the movie opens up <laughs> with him on a train riding through America, and then he gets to D.C., and he just sees all of the, 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 the monuments, and he has tears in his eyes. He just, what a great country, he thinks. And he's going to Congress specifically because he has this idea for the, a boy's ranch that he wants to get congressional funding for. And he gets to Congress and he finds himself in this huge, enormous morass of snakes and crooked individuals. This is 1939. All they're there for, all the, in the movie, all the politicians are there for is to, to get deals for their constituents or to get deals for themselves. And so when he gets there, he finds out that a bill is, get being, is going up before the Senate to actually build a dam where he wants to put this boy's ranch. And everyone you know, is, is, is conniving and everyone is sneaky. And at some point in the movie, um, the bill comes up and Mr. Smith decides he's going to filibuster. Now, if you're not familiar with the filibuster is, basically, it's a, you stand up and talk until the time runs out to vote on the bill. And sometimes it's a long time. And as soon as talking stops, you, you get to vote. And so what that means is if you don't have other people who are going to filibuster with you, that means you have to do all the talking. And so Mr. Smith stands up at a mic and he talks for 20 hours. And at some point he runs out of things to say. He starts reading the Bible. Right? It's 1939. That was cool. He reads 1 Corinthians 13, I remember. And at some point it gets so bad he just passes out. And at that point, right, spoiler alert, the villain of the movie feels bad about the whole thing and he gives up and Mr. Smith gets his boy's ranch for, for these kids and everything is, is good. It's a wonderful life. Same guy, right? Now, that's not what encouraged me about the movie, though. What encouraged me about the movie was the fact that in 1939, Congress was full of conniving snakes and we survived. Which means if it's full of conniving snakes now, we'll probably still survive. See how that works? And the, the Bible works in almost the exact same way. Because if you read the New Testament, especially the letters of Paul, if you've ever been discouraged with church, and you say, man, I, I just, I, I'm tired of church, I'm tired of what happens there, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that, read the New Testament. 
The whole New Testament, at least the, the letters, are written because the church is a screwed up place. I mean, it really is. If, you, if, if you're, <laughs> spoiler alert, if this is your first time, but you probably suspect it as much. And the reason it's a screwed up place is because it's full of sinners. Remember, I've, I always tell you when people say the church is full of hypocrites, and I always tell them there's, there's always room for more, Right? So the fact is, is the church is, is, is messed up on one hand, but on the other hand, the good news is that because the church is screwed up, we have all these letters that are written to screwed up churches. I mean, it's interesting. I've met people who said, you know, you know, I've experienced problems in church, and so I don't go to church anymore. I just stay home and read my Bible. Right? Hashtag irony. You, so you stay home and you read your Bible about churches that are screwed up. Hello? That's what's going on in the book of Galatians. So each, and when you read the New Testament letters, each church is having some significant issue that, the, that needs to be addressed with the gospel. And that's when we get to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is about self-right. The church is becoming more and more self-righteous and more and more all about what we do and not about what God has done. And Paul just intervenes in that very harshly in some ways. I mean, over the years, right, I'm no stranger to conflict and over, over the years, I was thinking about it this morning, you know, I've, I've had a few conflicts in church, and, and people have said, oh, Tommy is unloving, or Tommy, and I always remember, then I read the Apostle Paul, and I think, well, at least I'm not that bad, right? So when you really read the New Testament, you realize that they were fighting it out for the gospel, especially the Apostle Paul. And so, remember, like, up to this point, Paul is basically been saying, I didn't get my gospel from man. I didn't go to Jerusalem and get it. I got it as a revelation. And everything that I'm preaching, I got directly from Jesus. This week, he starts talking about what happens when he did go to Jerusalem. So after 14 years, on his own, preaching his own gospel, he then goes to Jerusalem and talks to the apostles. And notice as we go through, I'm not going to point it out again probably, um, he says four different times in this passage I went before those who seemed influential. He doesn't say, I went before the pillars of the church. I went before the most important people in all of Christendom. He says, yeah, who knows? God knows. They seemed influential to me, but I'm not going to throw them a bone. Right? He says that four times because he doesn't want people to think that he got anything from them. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. Basically, we're going to look at um, Paul's companions when you read just the first two verses about Paul's companions, suddenly this whole book of Galatians opens up wide, I think. At least to me it does. We're going to look at Paul's tenacity. Do you remember he said, we did not yield to those people even for a moment. The third thing we're going to look at is Paul's validation. Remember at the end it says that the apostles extended him the right hand of fellowship. So let's look first at Paul's companions. He says, then after 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So notice that he says, after 14 years, I went to Jerusalem. He says, with Barnabas, taking Titus along. That's an important distinction. He didn't say, I went to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. He said, I went with Barnabas, taking Titus along. Now, who is Barnabas? Remember, Barnabas, is actually, his real name was Joseph. His nickname was Barnabas, which means sons of, son of encouragement. The other apostles, we think, called him that because he was an encouraging guy. At some point, he was the pastor in Antioch. 
and he is the one who brought the apostle Paul along, and Paul basically became his assistant pastor, and at some point Paul surpassed him, and he became Paul's assistant, and so now Paul and Barnabas together, these co-pastors, if you will, of Antioch, are going to Jerusalem. And we learn here that they went, he says, I went because of a revelation. I wasn't summoned. We think the revelation is probably in the book of Acts. Remember this prophet named Agabus says there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem and they're going to need money and food and all these things. We think that's what it is. We don't know. Paul wants us to know, though, he didn't go up because they called him. He went because he had a revelation from God that he needs to go there. And so Paul and Barnabas went. Now, what's interesting, he says, taking Titus along with me. Why did he take Titus along with him? And the answer is pretty simple, is Paul was picking a fight. Paul was going to pick a fight with them. Notice later it says that Titus didn't, was not circumcised even though he was a Greek. So what we know about Titus is Titus was Greek and he was uncircumcised, which if you don't know what that means, you can look it up on Wikipedia later. But Titus was uncircumcised. And so imagine the scenario where Paul and Barnabas are packing for, to go to, to Jerusalem. And he goes to, to Titus and says, hey, Titus, you're coming with us this time. Why? Because you're uncircumcised. What's that got to do with anything? When we get there, someone, I guarantee you, is going to say, we need to circumcise this guy. And Titus is like, well, then why do I need to go? <laughs> and, he's, <laughs> and Paul's like, just trust me. I won't let him do it. But either way, Titus was brought to put the issue right in front of people. It was, he, he was brought to make the issue real for the Jerusalem apostles. You see, there's a lot, in our lives, we spend a lot of time sort of talking theoretically about things. Right? And it's not until the, the reality comes where you actually have to make a decision. And I was, trying, I was thinking through it in my, my own family. Now, don't try this at home because I remember probably 15 years ago, our family had talked about getting a dog forever. Well, let me strike that. I, Abby Flannery and Mercy, had talked about getting a dog forever. <laughs> and at one point, I was working for Eli Lilly, and I was down in Oregon, and I found a breeder of Cairn Terriers and found the cutest little runt Cairn Terrier and bought all the stuff and brought, bought the Cairn Terrier and put him in a paper bag and brought him home and said, hey, girls, everyone come. Judy, you want to see this? And the girls like picked out, oh, why is there dog toys in this one? Why is there food in this one? And in the middle bag, guess what? A puppy. Mom, can we keep it? See how that works? <laughs> I don't suggest doing that. I probably won't do that again. Probably. <laughs> but the point is, is having the cute little puppy right in front of you makes the decision much more difficult than to say, I just don't want a dog. Or, or, or any number of, of issues. When we talk about issues um, like, like uh, homosexuality or, or marriage and divorce and all these things, it's one thing to have a strong opinion about divorce, for example. It's another thing to have a very complicated case standing right in front of you with real human beings whose lives it affects. And so what Paul was doing here is he brought Titus and said, all these people, some people are saying you need to be circumcised. Some people are saying you don't need to be circumcised. Let's just put a guy right in front of you. Now what are you going to do? It wasn't theory anymore with Titus there. It was reality. So Paul knew by picking this fight that he was going to come out of that there with some decision that was either positive or negative. And he basically gets the, the positive. Notice what he says. He says, before I brought 
said, he says, we set before them um, those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed to the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run the race in vain. So Paul basically gets his, the gospel that he has been preaching affirmed, but he uses Titus to do it. Paul is saying, I can just imagine Paul standing there saying, here's what I preach. I preach that Jesus lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died and that he was raised from the dead and that man is saved by faith in him alone without works of the law and without circumcision. Isn't that right, Titus? Now, I don't know how they knew Titus was circumcised or not, but they would have somehow. And he says, I brought it before them to, 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 in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, Paul's not saying, he, I don't think Paul's saying, I would have gotten in front of them and realized I've been wasting my time for 14 years. He's saying this, that I wasn't running in vain for your sake. That you guys, what I've been preaching to you is what is the truth. And so Paul's companions here make all the difference in the world. If he didn't have Titus, who knows how this would have turned out. Because in the, next, in the very next part of this letter, Paul actually skips ahead to tell us the end of the story. So Paul starts the story. He gives us the beginning, the end, and then the middle. Now, part of the reason is, is because in Greek, when, when you're writing these letters on parchment, they, didn't have, they couldn't just delete. They couldn't just cut and paste. And so verses 1 through 10 here in chapter 2, they, they should have sounded a little bit uh, convoluted in some ways. It's because Paul starts a thought, and he has to go ahead and finish it, and then he picks up again. So in other, in other words, it would have made sense if Paul says in verse 2, that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And then if he just skipped down to verse 6, and from those who seemed influential, they, they added nothing to me. But he adds those three verses in. And on one hand, it sounds like he's just got on this sidetrack. On the other hand, it's actually the key to the whole the letter in some ways. So what does he say next his, when we talk about his tenacity? He says, but even Titus, who is with me, was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Now, why would that issue even come up? Paul tells us next. He says, because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So, What's happening here, Paul, apparently, they're having this council, they're talking to people, Titus is standing there, and some people come in, and they demand that Titus be circumcised. And Paul does not yield to them even for a moment. What's interesting here is that, that when we, we learn from the rest of Paul's letters that Paul didn't care a bit about circumcision. In fact, there are times, like with Timothy, that Paul could say, you know what, we're getting ready to go to this meeting and it would just be a lot easier, my life would be a lot easier if I could just tell him that you're circumcised, then we wouldn't have to work through this whole thing. And so Timothy gets circumcised. Why does Paul say here, not over my dead body, there is no way, in, forgive me, no way in hell that you are going to uh, circumcise Titus. And the reason is, is because people demanded that he do it. In other words, if circumcision was just something to sort of be all things to all people, that's one thing. But if circumcision is being added for his salvation, then it's not. I won't yield for a moment. And he fought that. He says, we wouldn't yield for a moment. And if you wonder if people would actually come in and say this, read Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It says that people came into the church at Antioch and said, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And Paul wanted to make a point in saying, 
over my dead body. There's no way that we are going to circumcise Titus. Now what are you going to do, apostles? Right? The, I imagine it was very awkward for Peter, James, and John sitting there because there's a good chance that the people who came in that were, were encouraging circumcision were their friends, maybe even their disciples. And so now they have to decide. What do they say? They, basically, they don't. Paul says to them, we don't yield in submission for a moment. And he says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's an important part of this text as well. In other words, he says that I didn't submit to them on, for, on Titus's behalf, but, the, but what's important is that the, that means the same thing is true for you. In other words, Titus wasn't saved because of Jesus plus works of the law or Jesus plus circumcision. Titus was saved because of Jesus plus nothing. And Paul says, I, I did not yield for them even for a moment with Titus for your sake. Because if I yielded for them on Titus and said Jesus plus circumcision equals something, then for you it would be Jesus plus God knows what. It would be Jesus plus every crazy thing you ever thought of that would made you right with God. And you would never feel secure and you would never feel like a son or a daughter. You would never. And he says, but I did not yield on this for your sake. Because Titus didn't have to add anything, neither do you. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're saying, man, Christianity is just a bunch of, you know, be good and do this and don't do that, wrong. What it means to become a Christian is you trust Jesus. It's by faith and faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, nothing else. And by what Paul did here with Titus secured that for us. It sort of codified that for us, that there's nothing you need to do except trust Jesus in order to be saved. So we see Paul's companions, we see his tenacity, and finally we see his affirmation or his validation. Notice at the end what we see here. In verse 6, he says, And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. He said, Those who I say seemed influential added nothing to me. Now that's important. Remember, because people came down from Jerusalem and said that you should add circumcision. Paul says, I went before all the big guns, actually people who seemed like they were big guns. I mean, they mean nothing to me, but I went before these guys. And he doesn't say they, they told me that I was doing the right thing or they told me that I should do this and that. He says they added nothing. I said it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And I walked out of there and it was still Jesus and Jesus alone. Those who seemed influential added nothing. And then next he says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been trusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So what is, what is Paul saying here is that basically I went before them and they recognized that the same thing at work, the same spirit, the same uh, gospel that was in work with Peter among the circumcised, among the Jews, was at work um, it, with me among the uncircumcised. And then what did they do? They extended to me the right hand of fellowship. Right? That's huge. That's, I, mean, I mean, basically they're saying, Paul, not, not only do we not add anything, but you're, you're one of us now. Now, I can imagine at that time, if there were people who were like, 
in the Galatian church while this letter is being read and they're the ones who are pushing circumcision, they're probably like waiting until the next time there's prayer and everyone has their eyes shut and they're sneaking out. Because that's sort of like a, a mic drop moment that they, had, they, they added to me nothing. And not only did they add nothing, on the contrary, they extended to me the right hand of fellowship. They included me in. And, and on top of all that, the last thing he says in verse uh, 10, he says, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. In other words, the, the one thing that they did ask him to do, Paul does, it, it's almost like Paul won't even give them that. He won't even say that they, that the only thing they added was they said, remember the poor. And Paul said, the only thing they added was the thing that I was already doing. In other words, we're still on the same page. And so what's, what's Paul's point in all of this? Why does he keep hammering this? Is because when you add anything to the gospel of Jesus, it is a step backwards, not a step forward. I mean, it feels, sometimes it feels like, okay, I'm going to trust Jesus, but then I'm going to start doing this, and that's really going to make me spiritual, or that's really going to make God love me. Nothing. You can't add anything. You know, I was thinking this week, and, and it was in September of 1862 that the Emancipation Proclamation was made. Right? Lincoln, Lincoln proclaimed that the slaves were free. Some places that happened, some places that didn't. Almost everywhere, it didn't really look like that. And almost 100 years later, well, actually, actually about six or seven year, years later, they had to pass the 14th Amendment. So on one hand, Lincoln says, okay, you guys are free. And the 14th Amendment says, okay, everyone who has been free is actually equal, guys, right? And then 100 years later, they passed the civil rights law, which, which basically says that, that we're going to start actually enforcing this. We're, we're, going to, we're going to start, it's against the law to discriminate against people. In other words, it took 100 years for the reality of the Emancipation Proclamation to even start to look like it should have looked. Now, the question is, who in their right mind, unless they are racist, would want to go backwards? Who, who would want to go backwards? No one would. We would say that was crazy. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is we do that all the time with the gospel. We go backwards. Anytime we start to add things to the gospel, we go backwards. Anytime we start to wonder if Jesus is enough or not, we are going backwards. And the gospel says just this, that if you have trusted Jesus, you have everything you need. You have, he, he is your only hope and comfort in life and in death. He is the only one who can make you pleasing to the Father by trusting in his works and not your own. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you gone backwards or will you continue to move forward in the gospel? More and more giving up your own sins, more and more giving up your own good works. And not good works that, that, that grow out of the gospel, but good works in order to, to gain God's favor. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning that as we consider Paul's um, tenacity, as we consider the, the companions that he brought, as we consider what, it, what the end result was, that we would be emboldened as Paul was when we see things happening, when we see people adding to the gospel. You see, when, when it, it, in Paul's opinion, good people who add things to the gospel are called false brothers. I pray that we, we wouldn't be uh, false brothers, but we would be... Uh, gospel believers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.